Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Emergency Docs. I'm Dr. R. And I'm Dr. Y. As a general disclaimer, please keep in mind this podcast does not constitute medical advice, but is purely for the purposes of education. We're back today to follow up our previous discussion on back pain. Why don't we try and go through a brief case to round out our introduction to back pain? Do you have any good back pain stories from your last few shifts? I'm trying to think if I've ever seen back pain in the emergency department. Wait, (laughs) I mean, I'm trying to think if I've gone through a single emergency department visit without seeing at least one person with low back pain. I hear you. Actually, the most recent statistics show that low back pain alone makes up roughly 5% of ED visits and back pain in total nearly 10%. So while most people think no one goes to the ED for back pain, either A, you have never had severe back pain before, or B, you were the world's toughest person. (laughs) Totally. It's so true. I think early in my training, it was hard to understand why people would come to the ED for conditions that weren't life-threatening, given this is an emergency department after all. But I quickly realized that pain, even if it's not from a possibly fatal source, is absolutely an emergency. Anyway, so here's a simple case I had from a few shifts ago that I want to hear your thoughts on. It was a 37-year-old female, otherwise healthy, who presented with two days of sharpshooting pain down her right leg all the way to the ankle. She states it started when she was picking up a heavy box. She felt a sharp pop and then this crippling pain. Did she report any weakness or numbness? No, no other symptoms other than sharpshooting pain down her leg. So her exam was notable for difficulty standing up straight because of the pain and sharp pain shooting down her right leg whenever I had her bend down to try to touch her toes. Nothing else. See, this is what I love about emergency medicine. People think we just see gunshots and motor vehicle crashes, but we literally get to see everything. From delivering babies to two-day-olds with fevers, 99-year-olds with head bleeds, emergency medicine is truly the best. And yes, I might be biased here, but okay, sorry, go on. I think you've actually seen some of the most memorable cases in our residency. Uh, Maybe we can talk more about those later. (laughs) Okay, so after evaluating the patient, I felt pretty comfortable with my preliminary diagnosis of disc herniation, given the patient had no weakness, numbness, and no other red flag symptoms. Sorry, red flag symptoms. Let's pause here for a second. Now, what are these symptoms and why are they so important for us? So in the ED, we often use the term red flag symptoms as a catch-all for anything really bad that we need to rule out. For example, with this case, low back pain is often just a simple muscle strain versus disc herniation or some other benign pathology. However, our job as ED docs is to rule out emergencies first. We rarely, if ever, make the formal diagnosis. That is the job of the primary care doctor, the hospitalist, or other practitioners to make. But we can and must rule out all the bad stuff. As discussed prior, there are a few critical emergencies that we must always rule out when thinking of low back pain. So with low back pain, the bad stuff includes any focal weakness to the legs, numbness to the legs, any numbness in the groin region, and any urinary or stool incontinence or retention. These are all signs of damage to the spinal cord and nerves and point toward a much more serious diagnosis. Importantly, these symptoms, if present, are what we call red flag in a sense that we should not move forward with any possible benign diagnosis and need to ensure that we rule out all the bad, scary diagnoses that could cause this red flag symptom. I won't get into the details, at least initially, on what elicits numbness or weakness with spinal cord damage. We can save that for future episodes. However, it's safe to say that if any of these symptoms are present, we as the emergency medicine doctors are much more inclined to get further imaging and ensure that we are not missing any critical diagnosis. 
Based on our history and physical exam, I felt pretty confident that my patient's symptoms were most likely a combination of disc herniation and maybe a muscle strain to the muscles along the lower back. So how do you go about treating her? There have been loads of studies looking at what's the best treatment modalities for various types of back pain, especially this type of back pain, which is called radicular pain or pain that radiates down an extremity. For patients that are in severe acute pain, I'll often give them a dose of a muscle relaxant as well as a strong anti-inflammatory such as Toradol and probably Tylenol too, all of which act together to reduce the inflammation in that area and hopefully alleviate most of the pain. Patients seem to really like lidocaine patches as well. So are you giving these patients opioids ever? Rarely, if ever, will I give patients opioids for simple back pain. We can and should get into more detail about why I choose not to give these patients opioids in a future podcast. And I know you will be able to expand a lot more on that. But it's my practice that if I can get these patients pain controlled with a combination of non-opioid pain medications, then I'll discharge them home with these medications in place and instructions to remain as active as possible, avoid bed rest, and follow up with a primary care doctor as soon as they can for further management and care of their symptoms. I think it's also really important to manage expectations. I usually warn patients at the beginning of the visit that it's unlikely their back pain will go away completely and that it'll probably take days to a week or sometimes even more to feel completely better. First of all, massive props for doing the right thing. I think in this day and age, as we are all becoming so much more aware of the opioid epidemic, I think it's increasingly important to be hyper vigilant about which patients we give opioids to and to try as many techniques as possible to manage the patient's pain while avoiding such dangerous medications as opioids. I'm really excited about talking more about this in the future, but I totally agree with your management. Now, I think this is where I put on my other hat and come in. While most of my time is spent in the emergency department, um, I am doing pain medicine training and I see plenty of patients just like this who presented with these symptoms of low back pain, oftentimes radiating down one or both legs. Now, how we treat this in the outpatient setting is way different from the way we treat this in the emergency department. In the emergency department, our whole focus is on what's called temporizing the pain, making sure there's no emergencies, and then ensuring that the patient has follow-up with the appropriate provider. In the pain clinic, we're the specialist. We are the appropriate provider. We assume the primary care doctor or other referring physician has already confirmed that they ruled out all the emergencies. We still, of course, do the normal physical exam and ask the questions to ensure that the patient's symptoms are consistent with a benign pathology or something that doesn't warrant any emergent surgery or other care that we can provide at the pain clinic. So walk me through it. I send this patient home. Let's say they go to the primary care doctor. The primary care doctor orders an MRI for the patient and the MRI shows a disc herniation. The patient's then referred to you, the pain doctor. So what do you do from there? So yeah, that does tend to be the typical course of action. The patient will go to the primary care doctor after a certain amount of days or weeks if the pain is not getting better with a normal kind of physical therapy or other modifying pain agents. The primary doctor will order an MRI, at which time, if the MRI looks like it would benefit from a pain specialist, then the patient will be referred to us so that we can do a possible procedure such as an epidural steroid injection. Now, of course, as a pain doctor, we do way more than epidurals, but by far, in a way, epidurals are the most common procedure we do for most patients. Now, in a future episode, I can dive much deeper into the evidence behind epidural steroid injections and whether or not they are right for specific indications. However, safe to say that if a patient such as this comes into the pain clinic, MRI shows a disc herniation, she has severe pain that radiates down her leg, we would likely proceed with an epidural steroid injection. So the first visit, oftentimes we will evaluate the patient to get to know them. 
We'll do a physical exam, decide if there's any way we can modify the medications, or whether she might be someone that would be a better candidate for surgery. Then typically we will bring them back for a visit, and if appropriate at that time, we'll pursue an epidural steroid injection. So what's really causing this patient's pain, and how does an epidural steroid injection possibly help her with this? Dr. R, that is a very good question, and it is a quite complicated answer. I think if we want to make it really basic right now, if this patient has a significant disc herniation and pain that correlates with where that disc is pushing on nerves, it's safe to say that the pain stems from a bunch of inflammatory molecules that are in that area of the nerve that's telling that nerve at that area, we are really not happy with being so pushed around and we need some more space. So for example, when she bent over to pick up that box, it's very possible one of her vertebral discs, which are these soft gelatinous discs between your vertebral bones, popped out of its space backwards and then proceeded to push on either the spinal cord or one of the spinal nerves. The spinal column is a very narrow fixed column and as a disc goes into that area, there isn't much space for those nerves to move. This is further exacerbated by the fact that oftentimes a bunch of inflammatory markers are released with these acute injuries, which causes further swelling and its surrounding structures, making that fixed space even smaller. So these nerves that normally carry pain signals up to your brain are being irritated by being forced to be in such a tight area. The interesting thing is that when you feel this sharp pain shooting down your legs, what's actually happening is the nerve that senses pain down your leg is actually being irritated in your lower back. However, your brain is processing that as the nerve being irritated and it can't accurately parse, is this pain from the leg or back or where exactly it's coming from? And therefore you interpret it all as this kind of all encompassing pain that's on your back and radiating down your leg. Now there are many causes for pain that radiates down the leg. And when the patients come to the pain clinic, it's our job to ensure that just because the MRI shows a specific finding, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's actually what is eliciting their pain. In fact, if you were to take 100 healthy individuals that are 50 years old and perform an MRI on all of their backs, the evidence shows that roughly half of them would have abnormal findings that in the right patient could explain symptoms of pain. And however, most of these patients have no pain. So really the MRI must be taken in conjunction with the symptoms the patient is having. And ultimately we need to rule out any other causes of the pain that could be radiating down the leg to ensure that we're not missing something just because the MRI seems to hint at something. That's really fascinating. I actually had no idea how many people had the pathology in their spine, but were also asymptomatic. So yeah. what are some of the other causes of pain that are not specifically from the low back that could also be causing pain that shoots down the leg? Well, there are quite a few, but I would say by far and away, one of the most common is a condition called piriformis syndrome. Now the piriformis muscle is a muscle that's beneath your gluteus maximus or the muscle that's over your buttock. And it's a very tiny muscle that helps to stabilize the pelvis and a little bit of movement of the leg. But the sciatic nerve, which is the big nerve that runs down your leg, actually runs right through this muscle. And if this muscle, for whatever reason, gets inflamed or irritated, it can push on the sciatic nerve. We see this all the time. And patients are often referred for an epidural. And when they come in, they don't have any real pain on the lower back, but more upper buttock pain. And often, if I push on the piriformis muscle or stretch this muscle, that will reproduce the pain they are having. Now, it's not quite that difficult to differentiate the two. I think on the whole, patients with piriformis syndrome tend to have most of their pain described as in their buttocks and radiating down the leg, where for patients, let's say with the disc herniation, they tend to have a pain that is a little bit more in the low back. So if I have a patient that comes to the clinic and I do a maneuver where I stretch their piriformis muscle that causes her pain, 
I feel much more confident that this pain is likely coming from the piriformis muscle and less likely coming from the lumbar space. Now, of course, all these tests are imperfect and in reality, we can never be sure. However, given the relative safety of injecting a small amount of steroids into the piriformis muscle versus the spine, most patients and doctors will prefer the injection into the muscle. Ultimately, we can't know which is causing the patient's pain. So sometimes we just will perform the injection in one space. And this is what we call a procedure that is both diagnostic as well as possibly therapeutic. Diagnostic in the sense that if it works, then we know that the pain was coming from this area and therapeutic in the sense that we created pain relief. There's a lot of elegance to that approach. We don't have a diagnostic test for one specific um, diagnosis, but to be able to give some relief and also get a diagnosis at the same time is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. It's so nice to hear this side of the story because working in the ER, I send my patients out and almost never get to hear from them again. Yeah, that's what I love about kind of where I'm at, where I get to be both an ER doctor as well as a pain doctor. Okay, so that's a very brief introduction into low back pain. We plan on discussing a lot more information in future podcasts regarding the various causes of back pain and the evidence behind different treatments for back pain. Probably much more than you ever wanted to know. But our goal, as Dr. Wise stated, is to try and empower you so that with a diagnosis such as back pain, which is so, so common, you can be better informed about what it is that your doctor's working up and ultimately be better informed on making shared decisions with your doctor. Yeah, exactly. I think really the goal here is to briefly introduce some of the basic things that we think about various complaints seen in the emergency department. And then over time, we can get deeper into the minutia of the various complaints. And hopefully, as this podcast continues, you can all feel much more comfortable when making these important decisions with your doctors. We obviously don't want you coming out of here feeling like it's appropriate for you to make these decisions yourself without the guidance of a doctor. There are a lot of nuances to the decision-making process that you really need your doctor to help you understand. But I do think it's important, especially in this day and age, to really make these decisions alongside your doctor, rather than your doctor making the decision exclusively for you. Dr. R, I don't know about you, but I'm really excited to continue this work, and I can't wait to educate people about all the interesting things we've learned throughout medical school and residency and outside of residency. And I truly hope that throughout this process, people not only become more educated about their own bodies, but become more interested in learning more. I couldn't agree more. Okay. Well, that wraps up this podcast. Can't wait for the next one. See you guys next week. As always, please feel free to connect with us on our website at www.theemergencydocs.com, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook.